Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. everybody. I'm Jeff Lambert. Before we get into today's topic, I want to take a moment to start a new tradition here on the show. You know, I've been listening to podcasts for almost a decade now. With almost every episode I've heard, the show's host always asks listeners to take a moment to subscribe or to leave a review on iTunes or to support them financially in some way. And I, like most of us, I imagine, always thought it was a nice sentiment but never really made the time to do any of these things. It wasn't because I didn't want to support the show. I just didn't think it would make a big difference. Now I'm on the other side of the podcast as a creator, and I can tell you it matters. Creators like podcasters, vloggers, writers, social media personalities, they put themselves out there because they love their subject material, and they want to build and connect with a community of like-minded followers. Support means everything. Those subscribes, social media comments, emails, and even financial support, it gives us the lift we need to keep going and keep doing what we're doing. It reminds us that we're doing something that matters to somebody else, that we do indeed get to connect with someone else through this medium, and that it matters to them. So with that in mind, I've decided to start every show by highlighting a creator that I support and appreciate. It's a way I feel like I can give them a little thank you for their contribution to society and to the entertainment they provide for me. So for today, I want to give some support to a guy named Kevin Curry, who's the founder of the Fit Men Cook brand. Kevin devoted himself to building a community around healthy living through his recipes, which were inspired by his own weight loss and better life journey. His recipes are awesome, and he seems like a genuinely great person who loves what he's doing. He has an app on iOS and Android called Fit Men Cook, one word, and you can check out his recipes there. My favorite recipe that he's made so far is his avocado tuna salad dish. So check him out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Fit Men Cook. All right, let's get to our episode. Enjoy. So last week's episode highlighted baseball's importance to morale for American troops, from the jungles of the South Pacific to that Nazi stadium in Nuremberg, where we saw an integrated World Series take place far from American ballparks. Over 500 Major League Baseball players were drafted or volunteered to join the military during World War II. Because of this exodus of the majority of baseball's pro players to war, it stood to reason in most Americans' minds that baseball would be suspended until fighting ended. But President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a baseball fan himself, sent what is now known as the Green Light Letter 
to Major League Baseball's commissioner at the time, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. In this letter, he expressed his personal hope that baseball would continue during the war because it was good for the country's collective morale and would serve as a needed diversion. Well, baseball heeded the call from the Oval Office and put together a full schedule of games beginning in 1942. 95% of the Major League players who participated in the 1941 season were now wearing a different uniform, trading in a baseball bat for a rifle, pinstripes for camouflage, red clay for bombed-out beach sand. Major League Baseball teams had, in some cases, whole team rosters to fill. The available pool of players included retired baseball professionals, teenagers, older men, and according to the New York Times, the lame, the halt, and the blind. These were the individuals expected to fill out major and minor league rosters. The spectrum of replacement players who filled Major League Baseball's ranks technically kept the game going during the war, but in the same way a car keeps moving when someone's behind pushing it. There simply wasn't much talent left to sign for baseball teams. And if you were an able-bodied American man, some might look down on you for running the second when you could be running towards a trench in Normandy. Some members of Congress disliked the MLB's taking of young men for the war effort so much that in the spring of 1945, Senator William Langer of North Dakota called for legislation and that would have required each major league club to have 10% of its roster made up of athletes who were missing a hand, an arm, or a leg. The end of the war came a few months later, so the bill never passed. But this highlighted the feeling some had towards men who played professional baseball instead of fighting for their country. Baseball owners looked high and low to spot a shred of talent to fill their locker rooms, even if it meant looking below the legal age to drink or drive a car. For instance, 15-year-old Joe Nuxall was signed by the Cincinnati Reds in 1944 and holds the record as the youngest player to participate in an MLB game. He had to work his way up once the war ended, but he went on to play 16 seasons, was a two-time All-Star, and posted 135 career wins with a 3.9 ERA. Another example of robbing the cradle to fill MLB rosters was Nelson Fox, who was still in the Boy Scouts when, at 16 years old, he went to spring training with the 1944 Philadelphia Athletics. On the other end of the spectrum, over-the-hill players and former baseball greats were called upon to suit up again during this time. Babe Herman, who was a retired 42-year-old who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1930s, was signed by his former team to play again during the war. Ben Chapman, who was an outfielder for the New York Yankees in the 1930s, came back as a pitcher for both the Dodgers and the Phillies. He was aged 36. Even the great Jimmy Fox, Hall of Fame slugger for the Red Sox and Athletics, was convinced by the Chicago Cubs and Philadelphia Phillies to sign on. During this stint during the war, he hit 268 and even pitched nine games, posting a 1.57 ERA. Not bad at all. In the spring of 1942, Major League Baseball's patchwork teams took the field to the delight of fans on the home front. Problems immediately surfaced, though. These players were mostly unknown to crowds. They were prone to injury, and they didn't provide much in the way of excitement. 
Babe Herman, that 42-year-old pickup by the Dodgers, in his first at-bat singled, but he fell down rounding first, injuring his hip. Chicago Cubs shortstop Len Marullo made four errors in one inning during a fateful game in September of 1942. His son, Leonard Jr., was born on that same day, and the day after the newspapers all nicknamed both father and son Boots. In 1944, Brooklyn Dodgers manager Leo DeRoche, who was 38 years old at the time, was so furious at his infield's lack of talent, he suited up and took the field. In that same game, he broke his thumb in two places, which was the result of a bad throw from his rookie shortstop, Gene Motch. In 1944, the home run title went to Nick Etten of the New York Yankees. He hit a grand total of 22 homers. It was the lowest total since a young Babe Ruth tied Tilly Walker for the 1918 title with 11. And let's not forget the World Series of 1944, played between the St. Louis Browns and their cross-city rival, the Cardinals. Cardinals pitcher Max Lanier laid down a sacrifice bunt in the third inning of the second game. He safely made it to first, but only after the infield committed six errors trying to get him out. The Browns lost that game 3-2 in the 11th inning, and they eventually lost the series in six games. Chicago American sports writer Warren Brown wrote about the series between these two squads that neither team was capable of winning. With the lack of talent painfully obvious, Major League Baseball got more inventive with trying to fill stadium seats. The craziest example was in 1944 where the New York Giants held a game specifically to help sell war bonds. But they didn't play just one team. No, no. This game featured three. The Giants, Dodgers, and Yankees played a three-cornered nine-inning game. The Yankees batted in the top of the first, sixth, and seventh innings, and in the bottom of the third, fourth, and ninth innings. The other two teams also batted and fielded six times three times against each of the other two teams. The game did accomplish its goal, though, as it raised almost $6 million towards the war effort. While baseball was helping get the country through a world war, the league had to be willing to change their traditional way of thinking to keep the public interested. One would think that with the deficit in available players due to the war, anybody with some talent could suit up, right? The key word here would be some. In a sad display that showed the deep roots of racism that ran through baseball, African-American players were still barred from playing in the majors during World War II. They were expected to continue to play in the separate Negro Leagues, as they had been before the war. But people went where the talent was, and the league saw record attendance during the war, thanks to the large amount of jobs filled by African-Americans on the home front. They now had a disposable income, and they were able to go watch their favorite athletes in person. The Negro League games became so popular that a new league was started, entitled the Midwest Negro League, and this was done to meet the demand. But the war did help open minds to the integration of baseball in Major League Baseball as well, because only two years after the war ended, we saw Jackie Robinson break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. As African-American troops returned home from the war, it became glaringly obvious to most baseball fans 
that if someone was willing to die for their country, they had a right to play at the league's highest levels. Unlike African Americans, baseball players of Hispanic descent were provided an opportunity to play Major League Baseball during this time. Most MLB teams began looking to Cuba, Puerto Rico, and other developing Latin American countries for talented players. After all, most were not subject to the draft, so there was no worry about losing them to military service. Players like Salvador Hernandez, Regino Otero, and Jesse Flores helped lead a new infusion of Latino baseball players in America, ones who brought much-needed talent to these games. And teams benefited from this investment. The Washington Senators, who invested heavily in Hispanic players during the war, almost won the pennant in 1945, with a team largely comprised of Cubans. Women also forged new frontiers into baseball during World War II. Several Major League Baseball executives were worried about baseball shutting down due to poor talent and the hardship of team travel due to gasoline rationing. So with this in mind, Philip Wrigley, Branch Rickey, and Paul Harper started a new professional league with women players. The league was named the All-Girls Professional Baseball League, or the AAGPBL. Over 200 women, who had been scouted from amateur softball games, were invited to try out for this league. 60 were selected to play. These women were selected for their athletic talent, but also had to meet a standard of the wholesome feminine ideal. The game rules were a hybrid of softball and baseball, with underhand windmill pitching, a closer mound to home plate, and a larger ball. Uniforms were belted knee-length dresses with the team logo sewn onto the front chest. Hats were fitted with a rubber band on the back to make them one size fits all. The league grew steadily in popularity during the war, and by 1948, just five years into its existence, over 900,000 fans were turning out every season to watch women's baseball. During one of the darkest times in our nation's history, Americans needed baseball. It provided diversion, nostalgia, and excitement, even if the players were unfamiliar. At the same time, the war helped baseball. It caused the entire sport to take a deep look at its traditions and who should be able to participate at its highest levels. Was baseball a sport for all, or was it exclusive only to those who looked a certain way? African Americans, Hispanics, and women all helped push the car forward, creating opportunities for future generations to participate in America's game. So in a way, progress came to both our nation and our sport, thanks to the sacrifices of our troops, who showed no one is free until we all are free. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball.